Hello. Thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance His kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. All right. How's everybody doing? The vocal cords are getting some work this morning. You know, God does some great things sometimes in amongst the chaos. You know, we think sometimes it has to be a certain way for God to show up or a certain formula or a, a way of doing it, and God will respond, right? It's not always like that. You know, God often shows me often how very much, how very little He needs me. You know, I think sometimes we think we're real significant or we're, we're going to help God out, Right? And really, I think that if we realize how insignificant we are, but yet he chooses to make us significant. Realize that. He wants us to co-labor with him. He wants us to be a part of what, of what he's doing. Um, so t- t- this morning, we're going to jump into a two-week series. I know we're getting close to Christmas. We are going to talk about giving. Everybody's sitting down, so I want to make sure you were sitting down before I said it. Yeah, we're going to talk about giving in the church. We're going to talk about finances. Um, one of the biggest things that uh, I feel like I would do a disservice to you if I never talk about finances, to talk about, hey, being blessed, being financially well off, and I never talk about finances. We talk about everything, and how many of you guys know that outside of the church, how many of you always talk about finances? So we make it a big deal, like, right, this big thing, oh, we can't talk about finances because, well, people, people may think, well, you're just preaching so that you can kind of get finances in the church, right? Or whatever, and if that's your perception, I'm sorry this morning, but I feel like that if I do not teach on giving and I don't teach on biblical financial principles, I do you a disservice. We can talk about families. We can talk about breaking strongholds. We can talk about anything, and people are often okay with that, but finances, sometimes we're not okay with that. But the title of the message is going to be The Grace of Giving, Okay. So Acts 20, 35, it says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, when I was younger, I didn't realize this. How many of you know as a child, it's a gimme, gimme kind of world, right? Give me this, give me that. You know, I noticed the the older I get, you know, me and Becky, we, we had the opportunity to do a little bit of Christmas shopping yesterday, and it is the hardest thing figuring out what we want. Really, because if we want it that bad, we probably already bought it. You know, we, we don't we don't we don't wrap our whole want list around Christmas and keep it all year. And now there's a few things we're like, hey, this would be cool, but all the all the stuff we want now is way too expensive. So so we throttle back. But these next two weeks, we're going to talk about finances. So finances are not always the most popular thing, but they're they're just as essential as anything else in our life. You know, I'm convinced that being financially successful can impact you just as much as being successfully spiritually. If, if I tell you, man, about the blessed life and all of these promises and your finances are completely out of whack and you, and you, don't, you don't have enough and you feel like the devourer is just destroying your finances and you're just like, Pastor, no, I don't know what to do. Where there are principles in Scripture that if we apply correctly and with the right motive, work for us. You know, there's, there's something called the God, the God variable. When we talk about finances, where when God blesses our finances, we have the ability to provide increase. 
And sometimes very little on our end, but it's what God does. It's it's what God provides the increase. How many of you just selfishly this morning would say, I would love my money to grow and have more than I would know what to do with? None of you? Well, I'll I'll quit preaching. Because, you know, I want to be okay financially. I want to have enough. I don't want to have to worry about paying every bill, living from paycheck to paycheck, but getting out of this hole of debt, this, this hole of just not living a prosperous, blessed life. Now, I'm not always, I don't, you know, I think there has to be balance because I think you can live on the blessed side and then sometimes you don't paint the perspective of the realistic life. Life is hard. You know, it's challenging. You know, most of the time, the the things that we have that that are valuable in our life or the things that we have to show for require a lot of work. I, I don't know how many of you, most of you hopefully own a home or have a home. How many of you know that just didn't come free? didn't come easy. And, and when I grew up, I was talking to a gentleman this morning talking about the adult life. And I said, man, life gets hard. They didn't tell you about the bills and the responsibility. And yeah, you're making money, but life costs a lot now. You know, man, when I was a kid, no worries. I didn't care if it was $100. I'd still ask my parents for it. Didn't cost me anything. Right? So we have to understand, guys, that the, the giving breaks the power of selfishness in your heart. When we give, it's contrary to what we want because it's blessing others. So have you ever been forced against your will by your parents or by somebody to give something that was yours to someone else? You have a whole bag of popcorn, and it's mine. What's my bag? And your parents ask you to share. Or a new toy. Maybe, maybe let's get a little more personal. Maybe it's a new truck. And your buddy says, hey, can I drive it? And you know he doesn't drive worth a flip. What are you going to do? You know, like, he used to say, thank God for full coverage, right? But, you know, it's not always fun, right? You know, sharing, you know, giving what is ours, right? You know, so my kiddos, you know, they are required to pay a dad tax. How many of you dads know what that means? A dad tax means that at any time if they're eating something, playing with something, I have at least one bite access to it at all times. And I got three kids, so I can get a good buffet out of that. Now, the first thing my kids tell me when I say, hey, I want a bite, what do you think they tell me? They don't say no, because they know better than that. I'll take the whole thing from them. They say, Dad, don't take a big bite. And, and if they're reluctant and they don't want to give me, I'll take a big bite. I was to get that big, say, Dad, it's half gone. You should have been more willing. So I, I, what I'm teaching them is the principle of giving. Because think about it, reluctantly, I, don't want, I still don't want to do that. I still don't want to share. So I, I'm being the godly father teaching them how to give at an early age. Maybe a radical way of doing it, but I pray to God it's effective. I'm grooming them to give, okay? So most of us grew up bent towards uh, not sharing or giving and being selfish and fighting for what is ours. You realize that? Most of us, you know, we were stingy. We didn't want to share. We didn't, you know, mom had to make us do everything. Um, you know, so r- rather than meeting the needs of others, you know, so giving is something that we, uh, that we don't always want to do or feel like doing, which means we probably have to choose to do it. You realize that? It's not going to come naturally. Like the things that I enjoy doing, I don't have to naturally do those things. You think I have to work towards getting home in the evening, throwing my shoes right here, propping my feet up on the couch, grabbing the remote and turning the TV on? Think I got to work real hard to do that? No, right? It, it comes things that I enjoy, but the things that are contrary to my nature, the things that I'm bent away from, like giving sometimes, is difficult. I don't want to share. We wake up, we, we, we are born selfish. 
You think of the nature of a baby. What does the baby do as soon as they come out of the womb? They cry. If they could talk, what do you think they would be saying? I want, I want, I, what did you do to me? I was so comfortable. <laughs> what is this world? I mean, I'm cold. I'm, I want to be nurtured. I'm hungry. What's going on? Uh, me, 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 right? It's a, it's a selfish driven motive that we were, that we're born with. So as we come into a relationship with God, that should change in our life. It should be a radical change. Now, I, don't, I didn't say it, was, it should be easy, but it should be a change that happens in our life. So we have to choose to do it. So in this holiday season, one of my favorite things to do is to buy intentional great gifts. I hate what I call the cheese ball gift. Hey, I got you this. Great, it's rubber bands or something weird. It's just like, great, this is the greatest gift. I don't even know what I'm going to do with it. But I like to get gifts that are intentional, that, that, that they love, that they will enjoy. I don't even like spending money on a gift, just a dud gift is what I call it. Or I felt bad, so I had to get you something gift. So if I ever get you something, it's because I think it's really cool and I think you're really going to like it. So don't let me down when I give you a gift. You'll be like, thanks, rubber bands. Right, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to get a gift. I want to get good gifts, right? You know, so I've learned as I got, have gotten older uh, the, the blessing in giving rather than getting on watching somebody's face light up when they receive something, okay? So I, I guess the older I get, the more content maybe I get or maybe just God's done more work in my life to where I'm content with a little, I'm content with a lot, and I'd rather have others blessed than myself. But alongside that, God has richly blessed my wife and I. Through the course of our life. There was time we did missionary work. You've never been a full-time missionary. Test your faith and see how those finances go. Be a faith walk. You know, you can't just work some overtime or work 40 hours and get a paycheck. You're having to fully rely on God providing through the hands of people to provide for the ministry that God has called you to do. And it was always, God was always faithful. You know, we're like, I don't know if we're going to make it. A check would show up, a one-time donation from somebody we didn't know. So God's handiwork will provide for what you have need of, but what you do with what he gives you is what determines your future. Because if God can get it through your hands, he'll get it to you. Say that one more time. If God can get it through your hands, he can get it to you. But so often when God gives us something, what do we do? We grab a hold of it. We say, this is mine, and we don't want to let it go. Well, how many of you know you cannot receive anything else from God unless your hands are opened? And the only time that you can multiply your seed or multiply what God has given you is if you take what He gives you and you pass it on. Wasn't even in my notes. Keep going. We have to have an attitude of wanting to give. So the question that I have for you this morning is, why do I have to give? Because I feel like if we can answer that question, at least it's on us now. The why. You know, if I can answer the why then I feel like it's up to you to make the if I will, okay? So let's look at 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 7. We're going, to look at, we're going to look at a handful of scriptures because I want you to see scriptures. I just don't want to motivate you to give because if I just needed to motivate you to give, guess what? I could do it. But I want to give you scriptures that talk about giving, that talk about the heart of giving, that talk about the grace of giving, okay? Now, I just don't want to... I feel like I could persuade you by words, but I want to show you by Scripture and then leave the Word with you and let you respond in what you want to do. Okay? So 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 7 in the NIV, it says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. 
For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. Verse 4, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege to share in the service of the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also the completion, this act of grace on your part. Verse 7, but you excel in everything, and look at this list, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in love we have kindled in you. Now, it doesn't stop there, but this last phrase that he says, so that you also excel in the grace of selfishness. No. In the grace of what? Giving. He says, he says, focus on these things. He says, you know, excel in faith, excel in speech, knowledge, in love, in these things that have been cultivated you, but also excel in the grace of giving. Pastor, no, I don't want to give. It says excel in the grace of giving. So we have to figure out what in the world is this grace of giving? What is it all about? What does it mean? So this week, I have some homework for you because I'm going to cover a few scriptures, but I want you to read this, 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and chapter 9. So write on your notes, read chapter 8 and chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians. It really unpacks, you know, in context about giving. It talks a lot more, kind of puts it all together so you can get a good snapshot, okay? So there's some homework. Let's keep rolling. So in Matthew 6, it gives us a clear guidance on prayer, on giving, and fasting. So in this chapter, it talks about when you pray. You guys have heard me quote this, when you pray, when you give, and when you fast. I preached it in context of when you fast, but just like we don't focus on, on fasting, are there some of us that don't focus on giving? Maybe some of us don't focus, maybe some of us focus on giving and we don't focus on praying. All of these things are expectations. It says when you pray, when you give, and when you fast. If he didn't apply it that way in that context, he wouldn't be expecting it. But when you do it, then he gives you the outline of here's how you should do that. So if you want to read on that, Matthew 6. On that, in that chapter. So God expects us to practice each of these as he leads us and directs us. Uh, I want to s- spend just a little bit of time looking at the book of Malachi. Uh, it is Old Testament. I want to give some Old Testament context, and I want to give some New Testament context. So in Malachi 3, 6 through 12, we're going to look at this passage. If you have never heard this passage, this will rock your world. Malachi 3, 6 through 12, starting in verse 6, it says, I, the Lord, do not change. Let me pause there just for a minute. So many people think that the God of the Old Testament is no longer the God of the New Testament. I want to hold on to everything in the New Testament, but if the Old Testament says it, it's done away, it's the law, I'm not required to do it anymore. Now, just because we're not required to, does that mean that we shouldn't pay attention to it? Ten Commandments were were in the Old Testament, right? How many of you see value in the Ten Commandments? How many of you know that it said, "Thou, Thou shall not kill... How many of you know if you kill today, it's still going to be a bad day for you? But look what happened in the Old Testament versus the New Testament under a new measure of grace. You have to realize that everything increased. In the Old Testament, it says, thou shall not kill. But in the New Testament, it said, if you even hate your brother, you're guilty of sin. Well, ooh, I've never strangled anybody, but I might have hated somebody. Well, God, under the new covenant of grace, sees it as the same same offense. So some of us want to live on the grace side. We don't want to live on the law side. Well, sometimes the law side is easier. I'd rather stay on the law. 
So I'm 100% okay if you say, hey, I'm not, a, I'm not a law person. I'm not an Old Testament person. I'm a New Testament person. That's good because it should increase. You ain't going to like it when I talk about finances. What do you mean? It's going to cost me more? Yeah, if you want to live under grace, you might want to go back to the old law for a little while. So let's look at this passage. It says, I, the Lord, do not change in verse 6, Malachi 3. It says, so that you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from me from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Verse 8, will a mere mortal rob God? You, yet you rob me, but you ask, how are we robbing you? It's going to unpack it, okay? It says, in tithes and offerings, verse 9, you are under a curse, the whole nation, because you are robbing me. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. So he was talking about the church here. He was talking about the temple. It, it was the place of worship, you know, that there'd be provision and, and all of these things. And this is what he says in that verse 10. It says, test me in this. That's the only place you'll find it in the Bible. Where God says, test me, I triple dog dare you on this one. If somebody triple dog dare you, you going to do it? Absolutely. Every rebellious teen, that's the first thing, yeah, man, I, tell me I won't. And he'll do it. But this is what he says, he says, test me in this. And this is what he says, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not, listen to what he unpacks, he says, if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough in the, in, to store it. Verse 11, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and your vines in your field will not drop their fruit before it ripens, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delight, delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. So we, we see this, this example of not giving God what is His. Now you say, hey, that's law, that's okay. Well, we still got to figure out what is God's and what's mine. Same question. Does it mean that now in the New Testament, all my finances are mine, I can do whatever I want? Good luck with that way of thinking. Because they would have never got to the place of saying, we're going to keep all of the tithes and all of the offerings if there wasn't some selfish motive rolling here. doesn't matter, Old Testament, New Testament. But it says God is, is a God who doesn't change. Let's look at uh, Nehemiah 13, 10 through 12. So this is what happened in conjunction with the tithes and the offerings not being paid. Uh, Nehemiah 13, starting verse 10, it says, I also learned that the portions to the Levites had not been given to them. These were the tithes and the offerings. And, and this is what the Levites, and, and, and that the Levites and the musicians responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. Verse 11, so I rebuked the officials and asked them, why is the house of God neglected? Then I called them together and stationed them at their post. And then this was the response, all Judah brought their tithes of grain, new wine, olive oil into the storehouse. So there was a correction, but there was a lack of provision. So, so the, the, what, the, what the, uh, the tithes and offerings provided for was the ministry of the house. It's the same today. If you don't realize it, tithes and offerings pay my salary so I can do this full time. Now, some of you may say, well, well that, why do you need to do it full time? Couldn't you work bivocationally? Absolutely, but you're going to get about 20% of my effort. If I go work bivocationally and I do this full-time, this is a 100% full-time job. Unless we want to have 12 people. Maybe we'll facilitate that. But that's just, you know, I'm trying to get you to understand that just like it was in the Old Testament, that same model applies. When tithes and offerings are paid, it allows the house, first and foremost, for pastors, preachers, teachers to be in that office 
and for the church to be full. When you showed up, the building was unlocked, the air was turned on, the lights were on. It'd be like you showed up. Anybody there? No, the preacher left. The worshipers aren't in the house. The doors are locked. Well, what the heck? What's going on? The response was because the provision was not made so that the offices could be held intact. Now, uh, I guess let me say this. You know, um, I hope you see the value in the positions of the church. If you do not see values in the positions of the church, then maybe you don't have any value or incentive to give. And that could just be one side of it. Maybe you're giving to get. You say, well, I want Pastor Noe providing a good message with five points, and I want him to make me laugh, and I want it to be a great sermon. So it's going to cost me something. So you, you, you reach in your wallet, you come and say, all right, well, how much? Well, I want a $20 sermon. So you put in a 20 Or let's say you put in 200 You want a $200 sermon. Well, 15-minute services will cost you 500 bucks. Just playing. It's like, that's it, 500 bucks, 15 minutes, I'll be out of here, I can punch my church card and leave. So what I'm telling you guys is that it allows us, first and foremost, for the offices of the church to to be uh, intact, but it also allows us to do all of the things that are in the heart of God by provision. Let me keep cruising because there's some good passages we're going to look at. So in the Old Testament, God's standard for giving consisted of tithes and offerings. So a tithe was 10%. How many of you love math? How many of you hate math? I'm going to make it real, real simple for you math haters. Okay, 10%. You know, it it was 10% of of all your increase, you know. So that's why it said that they brought their their wine, their grain, you know. So they were farmers. That's what they had. That was the currency of the time. Hey, we're all hard cash nowadays. Now we're in a crazy cash hard society. Hey, we take plastic too, right? So you could do online giving, all of these things. That was the currency. So uh, let's say you, you, if you, if you bring it, if, let's say you make $100. What is 10%? Ten, how much? $10. If you make 10 bucks, what's 10%? $1. Okay, simple math. I don't want to give you big, huge numbers, but it's that simple. So think about that. To me, that's very generous. If God established 10% and he said, hey, give me one and you can have nine, every kid would say, that's a smoking deal. But what happens when we make 100000 Well, Lord, I don't know if I want to give that 10000 But you could do it when you made 10, right? And you could do it when you made 100. But if we see that God provides all the increase, we can trust him at every season of our life to give him what's his and that he would bless what's ours. Oh, y'all ain't got that. Let me keep moving. All right. All right, so giving was based on your increase of your house so that the house of God could be full, okay? So when giving requirements were met, there was plenty in the house that allowed the Levites to do the work and the ministry of God in the house to be fulfilled, okay? So if we look at this now, let me give you, just to throw you a bone for you law people, okay? In Genesis 14, do you realize that Abraham gave 10% to Melchizedek and this was pre-law? I don't know where in the world the 10% came from. When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God. Say, why was a tithe the 10%? But that was just, that was God's standard. This is, this is, you know, this isn't what the book that I wrote. I didn't, when we wrote the bylaws of the church, we didn't say, oh, every member will give 10%. We just used the biblical model of what God has already put in there, and he put 10% on it. Right? So that's under law. But I want you to wrestle with God and figure out what is God put in your heart to give, okay? But we see, we see a pattern of giving, 
I don't want to spend too much time in the Old Testament because I want to look at some stuff in the New Testament. Now, we see consistently that God expects something of us. And when we don't, there's a principle of blessing and curses, of sowing and reaping that's always at stake. Go back and read that in Malachi. Because you withheld it, this is what happened. But because if you give, this is what it does. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not wanting to preach this, hey, blessed, cursed life, but the Bible talks about it. All right? So the, another question that I have for you today that you have to come to terms with, does God expect me to give? The, the answer is absolutely. M- many of us are, are good at giving our time and our talents, but we have a hard time giving of our treasure. I'll give time, Lord. I'll give even of my talent, but I'm not going to give of my treasure. Okay? So you realize that God doesn't need our money, but he wants our heart. Okay? And he knows that often our hearts are tied to our pocketbooks. Luke 12, 34 in the NIV, it says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So when we give to the Lord, we're, giving, we're, we're placing our confidence and trust in his provision, provision and his security of our future. It's allowing that God variable to come into play. So I want to make something, uh, something very clear to you today. God wants you to be financially blessed. Say that after me, please. Say, God wants me to be financially blessed. Look to the person at your left, because some of y'all don't believe it. God it wants you to be financially blessed. Who don't believe it? I can get somebody to yell it at you right next to you. Okay. So, so God wants you to be financially blessed. You have to know that. God is not, he doesn't need your money. He's not dependent on your money, but he wants your heart. But he knows that your heart is tied to your pocketbook. Let me give you a quick story. I was in Dallas, and God was teaching me a long time ago to give. And I don't, I mean, I guess because he knew that I would have to be a good steward, I'd have to be trustworthy, and I would be, I would be at some point in my life responsible for governing a whole lot of finances. I didn't know I was going to be a pastor at that time, but I remember uh, he spoke very, very clear to me. You know, do most of you know how much is in your bank account, or you have no clue? Oh, we got some handshake. We're going to talk about that next week because that's a big part about being financially successful. But I knew how much was in my bank account, and God spoke to me. He says, and there was an individual in the church that had car issues. They needed a repair done. And God said, go to that person, figure out what the need is. So what God was telling me, don't be ignorant. Just say, hey, how much money do you want? He said, figure out what the need is, and then once you figure out what the need is, write the check. Now, I got sloppy handwriting, but when I wrote that check, it was, I don't know how the bank cashed it, right? You know, like, it's that bad, but I've learned you can write Mickey Mouse and they'll still cash it. I don't understand that. But it's fine. You sign a check to authorize it, I guess. So, but you know what had happened? God had actually given my wife and I a love offering three months before. And man, I can't believe we didn't spend it. We never get love. We never got love offerings like that, but we just held on to it. We said, Lord, we don't know what you want us to do with it. Thank God we weren't ignorant and just spent it on a whole bunch of stuff. Did you know when I wrote that check, it was the exact amount. I just had to steward that money for three months and then give it back. It didn't cost me anything. I didn't have to work for it. It was free money. But if God can get it through you, he'll get it to you. Hard lesson. I was nervous, but God told me, he said, if you can trust me in that, you can keep trusting me. So when I was given a dollar on the $10 in tithe, I was okay. When I was given 10 on the 100, I was okay. Right? You know, as, as it went up, I was okay giving more. 100 on the 1,000 and 
Lord, I'll, I'll take millions if you can steward, if you can trust me with that. I might be like this. Woo! But, Lord, I trust you in it. You provide the increase and provide the faith. But God wants you to be financially blessed. You know, anything that's multiplied, that is multiplied in your life has to be sown. You know what happens if you hold on to a seed? It will never multiply. But if you plant it in the ground and you allow God to do what He does and bring it forth to life, guess what? It has the potential to multiply, right? But if I keep that seed in my pocket, it'll never birth forth to life. All right, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 11 in the NIV, it says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each one of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or not under compulsion, for God loves a what? Cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that at all times you'll have all that you need. You'll abound in every good work as it is written. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Verse 10, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase the store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Verse 11, it's my favorite part. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every, every single occasion. And through, your, through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Now, if I look at that scripture and I compare that to the scripture in Malachi, there's a lot of similarities. What I'm seeing is a byproduct of my finances being blessed, not cursed. Where there's this multiplication factor, where there's provision. That wordage, I can give, be generous on every occasion. You know, there's certain times of the year where fundraiser city is happening. You ever seen that? And it's like, I can only do one fundraiser. Or you got grandkids, you got, I can only do one, right? You know, it's hard to give because it's hard to be generous on every occasion. Let's say right now we're getting ready for Christmas, right? It's a bad time. Let's not take up any offerings. Let's not do anything extra. I'm trying to take care of me, myself, and I, right? And my family or whatever. But I'm talking about being generous in every occasion, even in December, even a few days before Christmas. God will provide us to be a way to be generous on all occasions, that's living the blessed financial life. You guys know that's in the New Testament, right? It's on the Old Testament. But we see those similarities. Now, if we were to reverse all those scriptures and we wouldn't give and we would rob God, oh, we don't want to talk about that. That's Old Testament. But I guarantee you the laws of sowing and reaping and blessing and curses. Now, I'm not talking, and this is where people get kind of off. Let me, let me clarify what I'm saying. God does not curse you as a person, but potentially, what if your finances were cursed? It didn't say the people were blessed, were cursed, but their, their money, their possessions, the things. It, it talked about fruit being destroyed. It talked about the devourer coming and, you know, things breaking down. It wasn't you. It was the tangible stuff. So you can still be blessed as a son and daughter of the king, but perhaps, ponder this for thought, that your finances can be cursed. Is that even possible? Think about that. Pray about that. I believe that they can. Because I, I, don't, I don't think he would curse me as a son or as a daughter. Like, all, all, like on every front, he would curse me in a specific way, maybe. In the area that I'm being disobedient to. Just my thoughts, okay? So Scripture communicates the importance of the attitude in which we give. You guys would agree with that? The attitude in which we give matters. 
And if you're ever coming up here and you're mad at the world or your wife made you give and you're coming up here and you just slap that money in the offering bucket, don't give. Get your heart right before you give. Go talk to your wife. Get on the same page about your giving. We'll talk about that next week. Right? You know, be, 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 have a heart of gratitude when we give. All right? Let's keep rolling. Um, the reason we give to God is because he gave the greatest gift. And it's just an opportunity for us to give back in a tangible way, a way, a way that cost us something. With hearts of gratitude. 1 Corinthians 16, 2 in the NIV, it says, On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when, when I come, no collections will have to be made. So if we look at this passage, it talks about a saving principle. When you get paid, how many of you know if you don't set money aside, that money's gone and you don't know where you spent it? And then you wait for the next paycheck to start all over again, right? But if we take that money and we set it aside for a giving purpose, and this next week we're going to look for a giving purpose, for a saving purpose, and actually for a spending purpose, and we tell our money what to do, we're going to be more successful, if you don't know where your money goes every month, shame on you. I can't help you if you don't know where the money goes. I don't want to jump jump too far because I'm going to give you a lot of those little nuggets next week. But we should save. We should put it aside. You know, this principle, I've seen this really uh, happen in the church because as tithe and offerings have come in, we delegate those funds and we set them aside. We have a benevolence offering uh, budget now. I don't know if we ever did that, but if something comes up, we take it out of the benevolence. We don't have to take up a love offering. That's a good thing. I know there's a lot of churches, oh, so-and-so stumped his toe and he needs dinner, so let's, take, let's get the offering buckets, brothers. And We don't have to do that. But we take, you know, just like you, you save a portion and you bring a portion, guess what? We do the same thing within the church. We take a portion and we save a portion. So that every time, because I feel like if, if we have faithful givers in the house and I have to keep asking for money and you've given faithfully and the house is not full, I would encourage you to ask me what we're doing with the money we get. Because if everybody in the house gives, do you realize what it says? There will be plenty and it will be overflowing and we'll have more provision than we know what to do with. That's the overflow of the house. Okay. Second Corinthians 8, 13 through 15, I think this really nails the heartbeat of what I'm talking about. Verse 13, it says, Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. And at the present time, your plenty will supply what, is the, what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. God really highlighted this scripture to me. He says, man, this is what I'm talking about. It's not that you would go broke giving, but there might come a season of hardship where you don't have as much to give, but I have plenty to give. And I may have plenty and you may not. And, but what this is, it provides resources for everyone. It really does, right? And it says, at the present time, uh, your plenty will supply their needs. And so in turn, their plenty will supply your need. The goal is equality. So it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. That's the heartbeat of what this looks like, that we can do whatever God puts in our heart to do. I don't ever want to say, God, I can't do it because we don't have the resources. 
Now, there's times we have to believe God for the resources or God to provide the resources. But you know, I really believe that as the church, as God leads us to things to do or goals or missions to accomplish, that he provides the resources available. But do you realize it's through our hands and through our efforts that those resources are made available? God blesses super financial people in the world with lots of financial resources. Some of you are like, Lord, I wish that was me. But he does that. He, you know, you might, you might be blessed with just earthly riches and have the ability to give a lot. I may not have a lot, right? And I, but I can give what I can give. But what it's saying, you may give a lot, I may give a little, but it all works out. Because there might come a time where I have need, but and my needs are met, or you may have needs, but your needs are met, and it just works out. You know, it's been super fun in this season of the church because in amongst COVID, finances should be a flop. Like just statistically, what they're looking like, it should not, the church should not be thriving, but, but it is. I think spiritually, I think physically, it's on the brink of something great. But if we just look on the financial side, there's provision in the house. But I think as God releases vision and direction, he can provide the resources for the house. But he needs me and you co-laboring with him and giving God what, what is his in order to accomplish those things. Don't look at it as, hey, I'm paying Pastor Noe's salary, but I'm giving to God. And if you can't trust the pastors and the leadership of this church with the finances that you give, it's going to be bold. Find another church. I said, did Pastor Noe just say that? I did just say that. Because we strive to be great stewards of the finances of this house. Super strict. You're like, man, I'm going to have to listen to the sermon again just to chew on that one. So what is our response today in looking at these passages? So are you excelling in the grace of giving? You may say yes, you may say no. Man, Pastor Noah, I mean, I don't even even know anything about this grace of giving. You know, I just thought I wasn't under the law anymore, so I was just, I just could come, I could just, it'd just be a free ticket to heaven. You know, God always requires us to give. Now, when we see that, when we hear the word give, we just want to think about finances. But it's like I said, he wants your time. He wants your talent, but he also wants your treasure. But I really like my treasure, Lord. Sometimes that's the case, right? You can let God change our heart. Giving should be a part of following Christ. Okay, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna kind of hammer some of these things that, that kind of stood out to me in these passages. Uh, giving should be done cheerfully and, and based on what you have decided in your heart to give. And y'all should be. That's what, I mean, that's what I want to say. My kids, I mean, I guess because I pay their allowance, they ain't working minimum wage hours or working hard for them. I say, maybe they don't understand the value of the dollar yet. And they're cheer, man, anything I give them, they'll throw it in the bucket. You know, cheerfully, excited, expecting God to meet your needs where you're, where they're, where you're at. You know, uh, giving, giving is, not a, uh, is not a requirement for, by the law, but... It's, it's expected as an overflow of thankfulness to the Lord, a gift of thanksgiving, okay? Uh, practice the grace of giving. This is something God expects. What should you give? How much should you give? You say, Pastor, no, I'm never given. 
Where do I start? Start somewhere. You know, uh, and I, let me, let me share this real quick. So the 10%, man, I asked God a long time ago, I said, God, why 10%? You could have picked any number. You could have said 30, you could have said 40. And, you know, if you actually study the law, there was more than just one offering and there was more than one just tie that was required for the year. You're going to like that we're sticking with the 10% rule. Because it really fell on more of the 30% for all the offerings. I'm not going to go there. You want to research it, research it. Tell me what you find out. But it's, you know, so I I said, Lord, why 10%? God told me specifically, and you say, well, I don't know. I don't hear from God like that. But God spoke to me, says, Noe, 10%, because 10% is just enough that it'll make you intentionally feel it, but it will never cripple you. Because if I can't live on 90%, I got bigger issues. I need 100%. So you tell me that little 10%. You made 10 bucks. You're telling me that $1 is the deal breaker. What we're going to cover next week is deal with the 90 and the 10% is a blessing to give. Make y'all come back next week. I'll load that for you. But God wants us to give of our time, our talents, and our treasure. So we can all contribute through financial giving. You know, when we do that, there's no lack in the house of God, and the needs of other people are accomplished. Uh, The things that are in the heart of God, we're able to do those. Man, I've been so excited. You know, COVID messed everything up this year, but Lord, we're going to take it back this next year, Jesus' name. But we had all these plans to do outreach and get in the community and do these things. It's like, game over. (laughs) Wouldn't let us go nowhere. We could do whatever we want within the four walls of the church, but the community stuff was crazy. It's like, oh, we can't. Uh. I went to the mall yesterday, and I just stood there. I probably wore my mask more yesterday than I have all year. Thank God that I work here, and we set the rules, and I don't have to wear a mask hardly ever. But I was standing there, and I looked around, and everyone is wearing masks, and I'm just like, what in the world have we come to? Now, I'm not saying don't wear a mask. I'm not, I'm not saying don't protect yourself, but... Just that there's this change in culture, there's this, you know, and how many of these people are driven by fear rather than just being smart? I mean, I, I, mean, I was doing it because I'm smart. I was like, I don't know where all these people have been, what they're doing. I'm going to protect myself. I'm going to protect you. I don't know what's going on. I, I know our church has been affected a little bit by COVID lately, so I'm being a little more cautious. But I was just sitting there looking around, and I'm, I'm sure they were like, what is this dude doing? I'm just looking at everybody with masks. Everybody, man, that's the most I've seen. And I was like... I pull mine down, take a breather. I can barely breathe. But, you know, this year has just been a challenging, different year. But God, God is, is still faithful. He's still good. So how much should I give? Pastor Noe, quit talking about giving. I'm sorry. I'm going to do it for the next two weeks. Let's look at Mark 12, 41 through 44. Starting in verse 41, it says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd put their money into the temple treasury. Now, I just think about this. This is what Jesus did. He he just got here. (laughs) I don't don't know what he did. He was just sitting there watching. I mean, like I was watching people with the masks. And, and how did he know? Okay, so he knew that the rich rulers put in a lot. So, Laura, can you come here real quick? Pretend like you're putting some in here. Yeah, like a big, a lot. Like, so, so I mean, I'm, I guess I'm going to see how much. Hey, hold on. Open that envelope. Oh, you gave a lot. You're wealthy. Good job. I mean, 
How, how intrusive was he that he knew that the, that the rich gave a lot out of their abundance and they had a ton? But then he noticed something different. He said, many rich people threw in large amounts. And I'm, maybe they were arrogant. They were kind of just like, watch this. Throwing their wheat, throwing whatever they're doing. I mean, I don't know. It was different. Different kind of times. You know, it wasn't cash or debit cards or different things like that. They were bringing in goods, bringing it into the temple. It says, but a poor woman came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. And I bet when Jesus looked at that, he could barely see the offering that was being brought. For for our standards, it was insignificant. Parents, it'd be like your child bringing a penny to give. He said, don't give that. That's not enough. But you didn't realize the motive of the heart of the child and wanting to give God their best of what they had. But when Jesus sees that, this is what he says. He says, calling his disciples to him, he says, you know what? Truly, I tell you, this poor woman is put into the treasury more than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty. She put in everything. She, she put in everything she had to live on. Now, I really believe that that was one of those last hope offerings to say, Lord, unless you come through, not going to make it. Now, if I got two pennies less to my, left to my name anyway, I could easily put it in the bucket because unless God comes through, that two pennies isn't going to help me. But some of us are so tight on that little bit because we're trusting in the finances rather than the faithful father. So the key here is to give and trust God for, for your provision. Okay? So do you ever give in a radical way out of great sacrifice. Now you're like, I bought all these cool things, you know, I bought all these gifts, I bought all these big extravagant things, and I didn't have enough money, so I'm trusting God, and and then I wrote my tithe check. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you're being diligent with your finances, you're being good stewards of your finances, and then you still had to trust God, but has it ever hurt to give? Check your heart. I don't know. But I think the principle here was a sacrificial gift. Do we ever get to that place? Because I've seen in my life, the more provision that God has, it takes a lot more to get to that sacrificial state. I tell you what, if I don't want to spend it, my wife sure helps me. You know, sometimes she'll say, hey, I think we should. And then sometimes she says, hey, I'm going to write this check for this. And I say, ma'am, yes, ma'am. But we know that God is our source and our provider. He's been that way for us for years, decades. Okay? So sacrificial giving. So 10% was God's finance standard that he came up with. And I would encourage you, that's a good starting point. See what it would look like for your income. See what it would look like from where you're at. And just see where you're at with that. You know, some of you may be like, ooh, I can't do that. Or some of you are like, that's it. Those ones of you that, that's it. You, you, you want God providing that, providing increase, right? But if we can be faithful, there, there, there's, there are a lot of, there, man, there's so many scriptures. There's rules about stewardship. He says, if you will be faithful with what you have, I can entrust you with much. But if you are foolish with a little, God will never entrust you with much. All right, let me wrap this up. So uh, when we give to God what's His, we'll be blessed. Malachi 3. Um, if you've never given before, I challenge you to, to read these scriptures, pray about, say, God, what should I give? What should I give and what can I give? Use those two things to evaluate. So you say, man, I got five bucks in my wallet. That's all I got. 
You know what I've noticed? Every time I have cash, God wants me to give. When I don't have cash, it's great. See, a guy needs some money. I ain't got no money. I'm off the hook. Every time I get cash, it's like, and guess what? I know how much is in my wallet. And God's like, you going to give? I was like, you know, just give a little bit of transparency. Sometimes my kids ask for offering to give. You guys ever seen that? I've withheld 20 sometimes because I didn't want to give them a 20 and I gave them a dollar instead. Now, I pay my tithes. I always pay my tithes. I pay them online. Ask our bookkeeper. I don't miss it. Okay? So I just want you guys to know that I'm not preaching something to you that I don't practice myself. But this was a principle, principles that I practiced long before I was a pastor. You guys realize that? Now, some of you that don't know me know me. I hope I've kind of painted enough of the real me that you know my heart. That you know this isn't just to make me rich and build my kingdom, but this is to build God's kingdom and accomplish all that he's called us to as a church, as, as Christians, as the body of Christ here on earth. All right? So when everyone contributes, there is never any lack in the house. You know, uh, statistically, the amount of people that give to a church is usually about 30%. 30% of the church supports the whole. Well, that's, you know, you know some of you maybe never see a... Well, I hope, you, I hope you feel the return, that it's always worth it. That you say, man, I'm blessed. It's just, you know, I'm so thankful to be a part of a church. But if you've maybe never been helped in a benevolence or a love offering or anything like that, maybe personally you haven't ever felt that. But when, the, when those provisions are made, it allows us to be able to do that. You know, it's never been about, you know, can we? It's always about how much. That's a good place to be because if you don't have the money, you can't do anything. But as, but as people faithfully give in what God leads them to, great things can happen. When everybody contributes, there's never any lack in the house. I'm going to close with this, Malachi 3. So maybe you, you've never given faithfully and you've lived in financial lack. Giving may be the key that unlocks financial freedom and blessing in your life. Maybe you've done everything you can practically. You've worked plenty of overtime. You've tried to do all these things. And there's, like I said, there is this secret ingredient of the God factor on our finances. You know, a multiplication when it's like times X or times that extra variable that you don't know, but it has the potential to multiply whatever the other number is. That's what I believe God, the God factor does in our giving. You guys stand up with me. We'll close. Man, a whole lot to chew on. Hopefully that came across well and clear and you got something out of it. You weren't mad and don't ever want to give again. That's definitely, definitely not my heart. But uh, I would ask that you would read those two chapters, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, that you would read Scripture. Remember I talked about that conviction thing. That when, our, when there's something not right, when we don't meet the standard of what God expects of us. Now, understand me too. I'm not this law guy that I'm going to crack you. You know, I don't look at the financial reports. I don't know who gives and who doesn't. I don't say, oh, Laura, <laughs> I know you don't give. I'm going to preach to you today. Ken, I know you don't give. I got you today, buddy. I don't do that. I don't look at the financial reports because I don't want to put dollar signs on each of you. 
but I trust you to hear the voice of God and walk in obedience to what he leads you to. And together, we can do great things. That the house would be full. And, and shoot, I'm going to quote that out of Malachi. Running over, overflowing, we can't contain it. Darn Old Testament pastor. Man, I love them scriptures in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 29, 11, that's Old Testament. You'd love to quote that. We don't want to quote the ones about finances and provision. I do. Because I don't want to just me be blessed. I want my children's children to be blessed. And the seed that I sow for to reap a harvest. And the devourer to be removed from the equation. That everything I do prospers and nothing falls to the ground. I ain't got time to lose money. Right? You know, think about it. If everything I do prospers. But there was a requirement. But I really believe that finances and giving is that key that unlocks that. But says, God loves what? A cheerful giver. Give what you have decided in your heart to give. So I'm going to ask you next week if you're just being obedient. I'm not going to ask you if you think you should, if you shouldn't give, or how much, or what. I'm just going to say, are you being obedient to what God is leading you to do? But I really tried to unpack a lot of scriptures to you this morning. How many of you would agree, well, is there anybody in here that would disagree that you should not give, that God does not expect you to give? Any of you want to raise your hand? I will talk to you after the service. I think we really know that. And when we chose to follow Christ, did we evaluate the cost? Not just physically, spiritually, and emotionally, Maybe even financially, that God would bless me tremendously because he needed me to give a lot. He he needed me to be a great steward of my finances so that I could be a kingdom builder here on the earth. I know people that that I think God has just blessed them to give. Millionaires. It's like, Lord, I don't know. I I remember I had a finance guy that that I talked to. He said, I've seen a million dollars twice set out in front of me. I was like, I never have. I mean, like, I don't even know what I would do with a million dollars. Like, I mean, too many zeros. Right? But what if you were a steward of what you have right now and you were faithful with that? Perhaps God would give you more. Because may God not give us any more if we can't steward what we have now. You know, I pray that for the church all the time. I say, Lord, if we can't manage the people and love on the people we have now, don't don't give me no more. Because if we're failing now, I keep failing in the future, we're not going to get better. As the need or the church or all those things grow. Let me pray for you, all right? Father, I thank you for each one here. And Lord, I pray that you would just give us ears to hear your word and your truth. Lord, I pray that uh, nobody would walk in, in, in condemnation or guilt or feel like they, that they, they've really not been doing right. Father, I pray that they would walk in grace today. Father, that they would know that you would love them and, and that you accept them just like they are. But Father, I pray that you would lead us into all righteousness and that you would show us what to do in the avenue of giving. Father, I thank you that you say if anyone lacks wisdom, let them ask. So Father, I pray for just a release of your understanding of finances. That we would be successfully financially in our lives. Father, that it would be a joy and a privilege to serve you and to give on every occasion 
as you move in our heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Harvest Time Church podcast. We hope you've been encouraged and empowered. If you'd like more information about our family, please write us at 42 FM 2540 South, Bay City, Texas 77414. Or check us out on the web at harvesttimebaycity.com.